Am I bleached? You weren't, but now you are. Like, I don't feel like you were initially. I think it's the hat with the shirt. I think it's, it's like, probably have our first costume change of uh, podcast history. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Steve. And this is a podcast for creatives. Two friends talking about the complex, messy, and beautiful experience that is being a creative. The beginning of the last episode was shaky for two reasons. One, because I was so close to the camera. But also, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but I was experimenting with the like AI tool that takes all the ums and likes out automatically. Yeah. I ran it through like the whole thing and I started playing it back. I'm like, oh, this sounds pretty good. I'm going to roll with this. But still going through to, you know, cut like for content. And then I got like 10 minutes into it and I was like, no, there, this is sounding weird. But then I was like too lazy to go back and fix what I had already, like what AI had done. So if the beginning sounded weird, that's why. (laughs) I did, I did notice like, like some very particular, like jump cuts. And I'm like, wow, she's really like moving fast (laughs) to like cut these things out. And then as you say that, I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense now. Yes. AI (laughs) is such an interesting, like addition to our lives and there are certain things and areas where it, it, it definitely, I think, makes a lot of sense. Like I can remember when, <clears throat> for example, like um, when Facebook came out with utilizing AI for uh, alt tags on photos, mm. um, you know, they would scan it and then pull out like what they believe they saw. And, and it was usually like fairly accurate. But then, like anything else, it kind of saturates the market, and it feels like it waters down like all of these these things that I almost feel like the negative is is that you don't have to learn stuff now. You know, you don't have to sort of have an understanding of it. You just sort of can lean on utilizing it for certain things, and it's I don't know. It feels like it takes the fun out of like getting better at something and positioning yourself as like you know skilled in a certain area. Yeah, I had a really long talk with a couple of the women in my community this earlier this week, like about AI. And I, I know you're talking about like your professional community, but I just had a vision of like you down at like the local coffee shop, just chatting up some ladies about AI. It could happen. <laughs> yeah, no, frequently, I imagine. <laughs> I've mostly been just not really paying attention to it. But since that conversation, I've been trying to notice where we've already been using it or maybe not we're not calling it AI but like using technology for for example something like spell check that is a tool that we use that we've been using forever to make our work better I'm very much trying to take the perspective of finding the ways that this could like help my work be better and not feeling guilty about using them because everyone is going to be, so might as well like be an early adopter to it. Yeah, and I think like there's there's something to to that. I think there's something to like you know we're all looking for for better ways of managing our time, and if it's making the process, you know, more efficient. I get that. Um, I think where I sort of like I quibble with it a little bit is when you have, you know, there's there's the rhetoric out there about how 
you know, well, it's a, it, it's a jumping off point. Like if, you know, if you need help with something like it's a starting point for and like I listen to the people who are who who might be talking about this. And these are these are people who write content. These are people who, you know, who supposedly do what they're talking about doing using chat GPT or using AI for for a career. And there's just something that maybe it's just me being I don't know if this is snobbish, but it feels like it's like if this is your wheelhouse, if this is your career, like it's not about doing it better. Like if you're using it as a as a as a crutch to like, well, it just gets me started. It gives me a jumping off point. It feels like that should be something that you know how to do at this point in time. Like there shouldn't be something that you're like, you know, entering like, you know, write an article about or write content about this or write a post about that and being like, OK, now this is my jumping off point. Shouldn't you know that by now? Oh, that's really interesting that. I guess I hadn't thought about the ways that people are using it because that way is like not my problem. The like, I need help coming up with ideas. I, anyone who needs help coming up with ideas, I'm your girl. I have more ideas than like I could fill <laughs> lifetimes with. So the thought that people are using it in that way, especially creative people is, I'm not saying this from a like judgmental perspective. It's just... It's interesting to me because to me, that's one of the most fun parts of the process. Right. And the way that I've been using it, and I'm sure there are going to be people on the other side of this who are like, you know, why is she using it for that? Is I've been starting to experiment with, sorry. Drag race? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Pinky Tuscadero. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but I appreciate that it's a, a deep reference. It's a Grease reference. Wasn't that what's her face's name? Stalker Channing's uh, character, isn't it? Wasn't it? Was it Pinky Tuscadero in Grease? Rizzo. Isn't that her real name? Is who, oh. who's Pinky Tuscadero? I have no idea. Oh because I was gonna make a Grease joke, and I'm like, he's not gonna know anything from that. But apparently, I don't know anything about it. All right, hold on, hold on. <laughs> we have to get to the bottom of this. Oh, see, okay, <laughs> right vintage, wrong bottle, I guess. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Pinky Tuscadero was Fonzie's girlfriend in Happy Days. Oh, even better. So very much a Grease, but not, could have been not Rizzo. Actual, yeah, 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 right. yeah. Okay. Okay. Glad we Moving cleared on. that up. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Back to AI from um, from fifties to AI. Nobody threads happy days to AI <laughs> better than podcasts for creatives. <laughs> All right. So the way that I've been using it and experimenting experimenting with it a bit is when I write something, I've already been using the pl platform Grammarly to like mm -hmm. just correct my grammar and spelling or really check it. Like I don't just throw it in there. I go through every single suggestion and approve it or, or deny it. Or a lot of times they don't, they'll just say like, this is ending in a preposition or they'll, they'll say like, this isn't, isn't right, but they don't tell you how to fix it. So then it's like kind of on me to do it. But recently I've been, instead of using Grammarly, just opening chat GPT and dumping in whatever I wrote and I just give the prompt like, can you clean this up and, and check for grammar and spelling? And it's like, oh, and in my voice. So they, cause I, I really like, I, I want that creative control. I don't want 
them to change too much of it. And for the most part, it's been decent, but I'm still like going through it and kind of doing that same Grammarly where I'm like rejecting or, you know, still rewriting it because a few times it changed it too much. I'm like, I would never say it like this. And that's the part that I never want to lose because I mean, otherwise we're all going to sound the same. Right. In my industry, in, in, in many cases, we have public relations people who have somewhat longstanding relationships with their superintendent. They've been working together for years, right? So not only do you, the writer, you know, the PR person have, have a tone and have a, a style of writing that is very much yours and representative of the school district you're working on, but sometimes even writing on behalf of the superintendent, you have to know his or her the way that they deliver lines. You got to write kind of for them. And we've had some discussions over the over the months on our team about, you know, using AI for this type of thing, because for some people, it, they're not comfortable sort of writing remarks on behalf of somebody else. They're more comfortable writing in their own tone. Uh, we have a, a someone on our team who's been um, is a phenomenal writer. Recently, she had written uh, was asked to, to, to write something on behalf of I forget if it was for her superintendent or for the district, but the superintendent had been sort of a proponent of of ChatGPT, save time, do this, do that, more availability to do other things and whatnot. And and she was a little bit more like hesitant about it, but she decided one day, you know, out of the blue to kind of give it a go and see what happens. So she she used ChatGPT to write the remarks, kind of cleaned a few things up a little bit, presented it to him, and he had come down to her office later on in the day and said you didn't write this, did you? And she goes, no, I didn't. He goes, I could tell. And it kind of like was this like very refreshing period where like, if you're writing for an audience that doesn't necessarily have a sort of like feel for who you are already. And you're kind of getting like, I could see using it to sort of help tighten things. And like all of that makes sense. But like these longstanding relationships, things that people are used to, it almost feels like sort of double the work. And I'm not saying that it's not worth necessarily like using it to sort of help shape or structure or but like if it does feel like after you get your draft back, then you're cleaning it up. I don't like the way this sounds. This does this. And. I wonder how many people also know like that when they get these remarks, this doesn't sound like me, you know, or this, if you're writing for somebody else, this isn't, this isn't you. And then I start saying to myself, like, where is the time saving here? Because eventually I have to go back and clean this up and do this differently. Or, or I don't know. I, I have this very undecided. I feel like I'm like dragging my heels here. And maybe this is just me getting older. I have this very undecided relationship with, with chat GPT as a means of like, something in my industry because when we're working with other people for for writing on on their behalf or trying to sound like the way that they typically want to sound like that's something that you can't often get out of an ai based tool yeah now what you just just described is exactly what my experience has been in my thought process which is this is not saving me time because I have to like go through, I still have to go through it with a fine tooth comb. I think the only thing that it's really doing for me is giving me that assurance that I don't have any like glaring mistakes yeah. or like a double word. But in that case, so after doing this, I've probably only done this over the last month and not consistently either, just kind of like here and there in a few places. I've kind of come around to, I think just going back to doing what I was doing in Grammarly makes more sense because it's, 
extracting like less of what I poured into it. It's funny that I remember when I was in high school growing up, I'm going to forget the name. You might remember this, but there was like this um, website that you could write a paper, you know, in, in English and then upload the text and it would translate it into Spanish. I, I can't remember the name of the site now, but I was aware of it. Now, background, you know this, but my mom was a Spanish teacher, so I couldn't get away with much of any of that because she knew what I knew and what I didn't know. <laughs> but I had friends of mine who did, and I can remember us having to turn in our papers one day, and the next day we get them back graded, and the teacher, I don't even know if you can get away with this now, but the teacher had come up to this kid in the class who definitely used this very early on AI based, you know, we didn't call it that back then, but like this very early on AI based software, uh, she said the word in Spanish and she said, what does it mean? And he froze and ended up getting a zero on the paper. And it's so funny that like, here we are now, you know, 20 something years, right? Yeah. 20 years after that, give or take. And we're still in love with this, like trying to find ways to like circumvent the the learning and your example is not that it's 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 more or less the the I don't want to put the time into thinking about this I don't want to so let me do this and it always feels like it ends up cheapening it on on the back end. and maybe you do find ways around it because people aren't that caring or don't pay that closely a, a, enough attention to it but I feel like for those who do for those audiences that are you know aware of your your style your voice your tone it does matter quite a big deal about mm -hmm. whether or not you're kind of passing this off to save time or whether or not you're you're using this to sort of tighten the process but still making sure that it's you in the end but, and i think it's going to matter more and more because if all of us have access to these tools and all of us can make everything that we do things that we write things that we create i mean the person who was bringing up this conversation was is an illustrator and like that it's a huge threat that or she's a digital illustrator and it's a huge threat that anyone can just go on and like give a few prompts and just create something in in seconds and in that sense it's kind of sad to like lose your purpose in a way if Do you, you enjoy like doing that if you enjoy the craft of creating something if it's not just a business and in this case for this person it's not just a business i think that's the nut right like that's the that's the almost the insulting piece because you don't get into this for a job like i don't think you get into a creative field just because you want to work a nine to five like you get into it because you have you have an a, an affection for for the work and it's and, and, and it provides you purpose it's almost like an affront to i think people who are in these industries that pride themselves on creative concepts and I mean we all do like we want something that is that is unique that we can sort of build that we can look back and say like we 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 made this and then this it just feels like someone's joining the race midstream like we all started at the starting line and about you know halfway through the race someone just hops on the course with a bib on and they're in it too and you're like but you didn't you didn't put in all of this to sort of get you to this point and that's the I think that's the the, the battle that I have internally with with AI is I see the value of it. I see what it allows you to do, but I also feel like it's, it's, it's giving people an out. It's also outing people who aren't, haven't put in that, that, that effort to understand the craft. Yeah. 
I definitely like it annoys me to know that there are people out there who are doing it purely just to make money Mm -hmm. and they're willing to do it because they have no they don't have an audience they don't have they probably don't have integrity yeah i don't know i i mean i think it's it's a it's a complicated topic the the battle between efficiency versus effectiveness is i think something that's gone on for quite some time and you know like we talk a lot about cooking on this show and and there's there's a means of which to to save time on things when you're cooking and then there's sort of i think the way that at least I know that you and I were raised where it's like put the effort into, you know, mincing garlic versus like, you know, getting a garlic roller or, you know, like all of these things where you're like, oh, I don't want to do that. I want to do it this way because it's 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 my way of doing things on a professional level. Our our organization, our division, our team, you know, we build and design our own websites and um, I'll put our design team uh, and our content team up against anybody. I believe in our process. And, and I think the work speaks for itself. I wouldn't say we're in competition with because we're not in competition with, but there are plenty of other, you know, third party vendors that, that design websites, design school websites, and they can do it probably more quickly than, than we can. But our difference in the way that we approach it is, is that we believe wholeheartedly that a website is a communications tool. We don't look at it as a tech tool. And I think when you, when you work with these, these vendor companies, they do great work. But a lot of it is pitched as a, as, a, as a tech tool. So when we talk to to our districts, you know, we don't sit there and insult the process of other other companies that they might be you know consulting with. But we're very true to this is a communications tool. We want to make sure that the way that we're designing this meets the needs of your public, not just what we feel like should be on a typical school district website. So we we go through the process of doing, uh, you know, audits and reports and making sure that what we're pulling out is what your community is using the site for so it's meeting a need sometimes that can lengthen the process i think a little bit but i think this is sort of where the 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 pivot is is for for those companies that believe in efficiency with their money right in terms of what they want to you know what they want and when they want it if you're utilizing ai to do things like you're going to be probably right there in terms of that that venn diagram for those companies needs but then we have sort of what we're talking about, which is a much more maybe effective way of doing it that might take a little bit of time. And I'm wondering if this is the next philosophical debate between like, yeah, we could do it cheap and easy and do it this way. And I can, you know, and you can get what you want, or this is the method that we believe in and it's going to be right on. So I wonder if that's the next sort of like, cause there's this, like, it feels like, you know, AI and chat GPT has joined this, this conversation and people are very much in that, that, that corner right now and i always feel like there's going to be a pendulum swing back at some point in time not necessarily back to not utilizing it but like how we speak between efficiencies versus effectiveness and whether or not effectiveness wins out because much like our situation we want districts to understand that if you're buying into communications services pr services you want your tools to do that as well you don't want something that doesn't jive with the model that you're buying how do creatives advocate for their methods in a world that you might have people who are out to just make a buck off of utilizing AI to to finish first in the race? In a way, I think it kind of goes back to the knowing yourself and knowing your brand because the person who is more focused on just making a buck or in, in the example you just gave, like they're prioritizing efficiency over everything else. Like that's 
that's their number one thing that's important to them, then I think you kind of have to like own that for yourself. So if you want to be someone who uses AI for everything, that's fine. But you're going to have a different, people are going to perceive you in a different way and your customers and your clients are going to be different types of people who have different types of needs. And I'll give this example because I experienced this recently. I was working on a project for the magazine that I freelance for, and we needed a an image for to go on the cover of this section. And I had the parameters of what I needed, and we use Adobe um, stock photos. I went and I searched for what we needed. I found an image, and I was shocked to see that there was a little thing below it that said, like, this image was AI-generated. And it was a picture of a group of people around, like, an outdoor table, you know, that looked like they were young professionals. And part of me, like, felt icky for a second, like, oh, I'm not supposed to, like, use something like this, but why can't we? This is what we need for this project. It's totally fine. It's included in the plan. Like, so I, all of this to say, this was just an assignment for me. I had no personal connection to this. My name's not going on it. And we moved on and we used it. But if that was something that I was doing for like, for my business and I was, I don't, I'm trying to think of like a place where I would even have a need for an image like that you know, trying to pass it off like these are my friends or something like that. Like, <laughs> of course, I would never use AI in that sense. But there are people, I'm sure that there are people who, you know, are, are on Instagram or creative people who have their own businesses or maybe are, are even influencers who everything that they show actually is phony. And I know I'm sure there's not like a ton of that yet, but I guarantee there will be more and more of it. And I think it's getting so good. Like when I'll, I'll post the screenshot of this image, the people look very beautiful. Like their skin looks great, but like, it looks like people, it doesn't look like a cartoon. So where are we going? Like where, where does, you know, where are we in this sort of this chat GPT AI world at this point in time in the timeline? And what do we, you know, how do we make heads or tails of this? And I just keep coming back to like, it's a personal choice. Like it's, it's basically how you want to function as a professional in, in the field and what you feel like makes you be the truest version of, of yourself. So I have to tell you about this show that I watched on the flight home from London. This was like the last thing that I watched and to kind of set the stage for this, each flight, the first flight I think was like eight hours. And for whatever reason, the second, the flight back was like 10 hours. So a lot of time to watch things. And I kind of like went through all the things that were in my lane. Like I watched like a couple rom-com movies. I watched this great series called uh, Funny Woman, which was essentially like the British version of Mrs. Maisel. Yeah. And then I'm like, all right, I got like three and a half or four hours left of this, the last <laughs> getting home. And I'm looking through the catalog and I'm like, I don't know, not, nothing is really looking exciting to me. But I came across this show called 
Shining Veil, and it was starring Courtney Cox and Greg Kinnear. And it was classified as a comedy horror um, series, which, you know me, I'm not like horror is not my genre. The vibe of the of the like the image, the movie, put not the series poster or whatever felt like it was calling me, even though the description wasn't calling me. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to watch this first episode. It's only 30 minutes. And I ended up watching the, the rest of the series. It was outside of my comfort zone. It definitely had, um, I'd say more like haunted house type, you know, where you're, you know, seeing ghosts and hearing creepy things in an old house. There were a few like gory parts of it, but overall I felt like it was so balanced with comedy and it made me realize like how much I, I love Greg Kinnear. I mean, I felt like his, I know him most from like, you've got mail, but I felt like this was like, could have been the same character. He definitely like had that same energy I don't know. When I got home, it got me thinking, like, what else have I been missing and maybe like dismissing just because it's not like what I would typically watch? Do you find yourself going back to things that you've seen? I mean, I know you rewatch. Is this a rhetorical? Is this like. I know, I know. But like, because because I'm the same way where, you know, I don't often. I don't go outside of my, my comfort. And, and like, the funny thing is, is that like, I know it's like a, a, it's a joke with, with people who know me that I'm very much like in my lane and that's for, you know, and that's, that's just who I am. But I think in terms of like consuming content, I will, I will very much have variations of shows that are pretty much in the same vein, but there's just unending versions of it. You know, I can, I probably have listened to more podcasts and read more books on Watergate and Nixon and I know all the ins and outs of the entire story but if something new comes out about it I'm like yes I'm going to go I'm going to go read this or I'm going to go watch this or I'm going to listen to this like it's just like it's it's more about overload I think than 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 saying like oh here's something I know nothing about that doesn't look like it's going to be about me let me go do this it just feels very not me but yeah, last week when you brought up that you listened to a Prince a podcast that was like centered around Prince, and that was really that was, that was surprising that was to me. Yeah, yeah, coming from you, which is why I asked you. I'm like, have you liked Prince this whole time? So what what is it that made you start listening to that? Yeah, that's fair. Um, it's, <laughs> Explain I mean, yourself. I know. I'm still <laughs> trying to figure this out. A week later. <laughs> I think music is something that is just, um, it's intrinsically a part of me. You know this. We, we used to talk a lot about music on the podcast. And and Prince is somebody that I feel like I've listened quite a bit of his music in my library, but it's not somebody as a person that I feel like I've ever been obsessed with learning more about. And I think that's why when it was presented that way, I was like, huh, like, okay, I want to I wanna do this. But I think that it's it's the reason why I don't find it surprising and and maybe others or or viewer like this is that it's it's it was very much in sort of this reflection documentary kind of style, even though it was about somebody that we often don't talk a lot about or that I don't you know often talk a lot about. So it, it felt very much 
you know, true, true to me. I've been listening to a podcast recently called Think Twice. Uh, it's about Michael Jackson. This is different um, for for me. Um, and there's been a few times even listening to it that I was a little uncomfortable um, about what I was hearing. Um, and and not so much because it's the obvious of the allegations and whatever your personal belief is about whether Michael did or didn't do some of these things that he's been accused of doing, but more or less it was, it was the first real depthful dive into separating the art from the artist that that was the crux of the entire podcast. Yes. It was, you know, eight, nine, 10 episodes of, you know, of a look back at his life, but a lot of it was sort of, how he got to where he was, the things that went wrong, how he isolated, and then how some of his behavior started to sort of change. So it gave you kind of like the arc, the reasoning. It didn't necessarily say, so that's why he was what he was. It was allowing you to kind of come to those conclusions. However, it was the first real sort of discussion I've had with myself about like when I'm listening to his music, how do I feel about this? You know, it's no different than I think when you're listening to like Louis CK or some of these other artists where you're trying to, you know, make the determination, like, can I laugh at this or can I enjoy this song fully being aware of a Cosby show? Same difference. Can I watch this and, and appreciate the art and understand that the artist was not the best type of person or not somebody that is, is within what I would believe is somebody that I would want to associate with and that's where the uncomfortable piece i think for me kind of came from with this with this podcast is that sort of existential conversation that it's not as easy as like oh i love billy jean or you know i love the girl is mine like it's it's a whole different game now the older that you get the more you're kind of wrapped up in your 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 thoughts so this is in a way your version of you listened to something that made you a little bit uncomfortable and then you kept going with it because you, you found enjoyment in it. Even, even if parts, you know, you didn't feel comfortable throughout the entire thing. Um, before this, had you like kind of avoided listening to things about some of those people you mentioned, like Louis CK or Cosby, not that you avoided their content, but listening or watching things about them yeah i think because i i i lo- i am a big fan of the cosby show and i understand all of the things that he has done has had been accused of did and they're reprehensible they are horrible the art however makes me feel a certain way reminds me of certain things from my past that i just can't remove as as a part of me so i didn't have a hard time kind of doing that but i also didn't really do a deep dive into i was aware of it but i mm-hmm. never really allowed myself to sort of go there i i i think this is the thing as sort of like there's two lessons out of this one like i got into listening to this podcast it was after the prince podcast i was gonna ask that yeah it was after it was it was about a month or so after the prince podcast but I got into it because I'm very interested in Michael Jackson, the person, but you can't, you have to accept the whole person when you're kind of interested in it. You can't just say, well, I'm not really interested in, you know, like (laughs) not really interested in the murdery part of people. Mm -hmm. Like I'm really only, you know, like you can't, it's, it's a part of like who they are. So I think I told myself like, as I was kind of, you know, having these 
you know, driving into work and you're thinking about, you know, all the times you've enjoyed this or you, 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 you've listened to this music on rotation that like, you know, how do you sort of, how do you live with this? And one of the things that came out of this was that, you know, I think Michael was very aware and, and the, and if you listen to the podcast, you come away with this sort of this feeling that later in his life, you know, albeit only 50 years long, he was very well aware that these things that he was accused of doing things that he settled out of court over whatever were always going to be a part of how people looked at him. They talk about an occurrence later in his in his life, probably in his in his mid 40s, when he started to like recede from the public eye. He had gone to 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 live in Vegas and um, somebody I don't remember who encouraged him to come out to a club one night and said, like, we can get we can get sort of a, a room that that overlooks the club, but it's it's completely, you know, dark. No one will know you're in there. Let's just get out. It'll do you good to get out and whatnot. And he was a little skeptical, but they snuck him in. They got him up there and nobody knew he was there because the lights are all on on the floor. Nobody knew it was him. And um, the DJ uh, ended up playing a, um, a remix version of Remember the Time. And. Michael didn't pick up on it that it was his song for the first like two or three minutes that it was going on or you know maybe that's a little bit long but Michael didn't pick up on it and at one point in time he turned and looked and he says is that is that my is that my song and the guy goes yeah and, he, and Michael said I didn't know they still play my music and the guy said to Michael like they absolutely still play your music but I think because of where he was at that point in time of his life and how he was you know shunned and deservedly so or undeservedly so wherever you fall on that spectrum like he was very well aware of how how his perception was part of people's reality of him and i think that's the part where i got uncomfortable because there's denial and then there's sort of the acceptance and once you get into the acceptance then i feel like it's on you to come to that conclusion about how you want to look at him so i think that's where that's where it got real you know it, it went beyond like a documentary and more into this sort of like how do i want to sort of remember him and how do i want to make peace or or justify or not justify you know my feelings about the artist and can that actually can that happen oh i love that so much because i feel like i've i've referenced this now probably like three other times on this show before but i'm going to bring it up again one of my greatest creative lessons was watching Malcolm Gladwell's masterclass and specifically the lesson that he taught me about ending a story and not putting a bow on it. Whether it's leaving things open for interpretation or saying something that makes people uncomfortable. In his example, he was talking about, you know, kind of like ending a piece that you're writing or, or ending a story, but I don't think it even, it, it only has to apply to endings. I think in any creative thing that we are making, having things in there that may make people feel uncomfortable is the best gift that we can give to the consumer because it's giving them an opening to engage with your work. There's that old adage that every good story has some element of tension to it that keeps you sort of hanging on. That's why my big beef with storytelling as a term is is like we everything is storytelling now. Mm -hmm. And it's like this isn't a story. Like there's nothing <laughs> here that makes me feel like this is a story, you know? So I think that's 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 so spot on true. And I think my experience out of 
listening to this podcast, I'm not going to just go jumping out and, and, and consuming things that make me uncomfortable. But I feel like I'm the first person to tell people in my industry, like consume things that are outside our industry because it gives you an open eye into creativity and spark and what might be a great idea and how you can build off of it with our own purpose. I think that's part of just being a better consumer of content and not so enclosed is like taking chances on the things that you consume and, and allowing it to let you think and let you draw conclusions and navigate feelings. And because it, it, it leads to a more fulfilling consumption process. Yeah. I feel like this is probably not the best example because I've now watched them so many times and brought it into like a seasonal routine that to classify this as something that's like outside of my comfort zone, it's probably a joke. But after I finished watching that show, Shining Veil, vale, it was making me think of how much I love Hitchcock movies and how I don't feel like it's very me to like something like that. I mean, yes the the era in which most of his movies was were created like maybe that was my like initial thing that made me start watching them but the content themselves them being you know not not horror but kind of like right up there against the edge it's it they're not it's not the genre of movie that i typically gravitate toward but i'm so glad that that whatever brought me in kept me there because for me Hitchcock movies are like the perfect example of pushing me like just to the edge of being uncomfortable and at this at this point like I'm not uncomfortable when I watch them but I feel like that's a really it's a great sweet spot to be in when you're when you're consuming something and and if you're able to then create something to like let someone else experience that where it's like you're giving them just the right combination of something that's familiar to them and that's comforting to them or appealing to them, but also introducing them to this thing that may make them like, I keep using, I wish there was a better, what, what other word can we use other than uncomfortable? But it, it introduces, it introduces something that makes them think it introduces yeah, yeah. something that's tension, but that was actually like, we've talked about this too, you and I in the past, maybe not on the podcast, but that was actually like Hitchcock's main intention of, you know, doing enough reading about him was that, you know, his definition of reality is like, it never must be exactly real because reality is something that people don't like. And, and I, and when I stopped and thought about like, we know reality has a lot of good and a lot of bad and some scary and things that we don't want to think about, but that's reality. So, you know, Hitchcock's thing is, is that like, it, it must look real. It must feel real, but it never must be real. That's it. Like it's what makes you think it's what makes you sort of ponder. It's what makes you sort of worry. It's what makes you sit on your hand. You know, that's the drama piece. That's the storytelling piece. All right. I had a very strange thing happen this week. I need you to help me unpack it and, and figure out because I still have not decided like what was going on here. So this was Thursday evening. I had just finished editing like the main cut of our podcast and I knew that I still had like some work ahead of me. I said to Jimmy, I'm like, are you cool to let's like get takeout tonight? He's like, yeah, no problem. So I place an order from this, uh, this pizza place that we've been going to recently and they deliver, which is great. And as soon as I hit the checkout button, I was like, 
I definitely forgot something because that total did not seem it was it was not enough money. <laughs> so I the receipt was like was sent to Jimmy's email. I had him check it. He's like, Yeah, your calzone is not on there. So I was like, All right. I'm like, he's like, You're gonna have to call them. I'm like, ah, oh, I hate calling people, but I really wanted this calzone. So I called the pizza place and I said, um, I just placed an online order, but I forgot to add something. And the guy says, Oh, you forgot to add a cannoli to it. And I was like, uh, no, it was, it was actually a calzone. And he was like, oh, okay. All right. Well, let me know what you want. So I, I give him my order and he says, and so do you want that one cannoli? And I was like, um, I've never ordered dessert from this place before. And I, you know, pizza places, the dessert menu is usually like cannoli, oh, yeah. cheesecake, Maybe right. one other and those thing. Those little plastic and those little plastic exactly. cases you, yeah. next to the sodas. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of what I'm picturing. And I'm like, well, are they like, are they really good? I was trying to trying to like dig to like why is he why does he keep pushing this? And he's like, oh yeah. He's like, you know, they're they've really been like going fast. And he's like, you know, because Halloween's coming up. I was like, what oh, does yeah. that mean? Right. <laughs> then I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get a cannoli. You can, you can add that in. He's like, all right. He's like, I can add this to your online order. He's like the credit card that ends in, like he says the four digits. And I'm like, ah, like I had used Jimmy's credit card, but I'm like, I don't, that doesn't sound right. And he's like, this is for Sam, right? I was like, no, it should be under James. And he's like, oh, for James. So then after I hung up, I was just wondering, like, was he trying to push this cannoli? because he thought I was Sam or oh I should also add that like I was half expecting when this cannoli arrived for it to have like orange like for the filling to be orange or for it to have like some kind of Halloween like maybe mm -hmm. it was like a seasonal cannoli Chocolate chips with the orange filling yes right, something yeah. like that something no just it was just yeah. a regular cannoli was it crispy or was it mushy? I can't stand a mushy cannoli. See, I'm not, this, this is why I was like hesitant to even like say yes. Cause I'm really, I'm not. It was mushy, wasn't it? No, I just like, I'm not a big cannoli fan. Really? There, there are two things that are at every single Italian, like you, you going out for a dinner or a catered thing or whatever, fried calamari and cannoli. And those are the two things yeah. that I'm like, it's there. And it's on the table, so I usually have it. But, like, if they went away, I would not miss either of them. Okay. Back to your question. Was the cannoli mushy? No. And I, I ended up, like, I had to try it, obviously. It Apparently was... They're flying, flying off the shelves. Yeah, because of Halloween. Right. But it was better than I was expecting. Like, you know, this is this is pretty good. But it's that does that does not solve this mystery. No, no. What, no. what are your thoughts? What Like, what what's your takeaway from this? Uh, I feel like Sam has definitely sampled a few desserts over the over the years as he's been frequenting this place and they know that. So they were trying to push something onto onto Sam for sure. Maybe that's that's part of it. If you're a pizzeria, like I think you even know that whatever is in that, you know, Pepsi cooler that you have, you know, with all the cans and then like some cheesecakes and things in little plastic containers, like even, you know, that none of those are probably very good. They just need to get either eaten or thrown out. So, you know, to sit there and lie, we all know that none of those things are very, 
very good. We're not mistaken going to a pizzeria with going to an Italian bakery and, and mixing up what we're going to be consuming. So it feels like on this guy's part, it's a little bit of a stretch to push these things as if they're like, great. Now you said it was good. So it was, it was good on him and, and good on you for, for, you know, trying it and, and following through. But I don't know on the surface, I think we all know that pizzeria italian pizzeria desserts are pretty much like you know we just look at them and go "Mm," and then we just keep moving yeah 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 that's not what we're there for so you think it's either the sam theory or that they were just trying to get rid of them and he was any person that called up he was going to try to sell them a a cannoli oh yeah i feel like those (laughs) things probably had an expiration date of like the end of the night or tomorrow and instead of like throwing them all out it was let's see if we can get some money for some of these things and and upsell them and make sure they think that these things are the greatest things ever. And okay. I give you credit for trying it though. I mean, I'm not sure. I, I had been, to, like, it's no, a dessert. Okay. Yeah. Like, Oh, you, you would not have trusted it, especially oh. if it didn't come with like a Halloween or if it was like a big sticker that said like, this is our once a year cannoli release. <laughs> I have a, I <laughs> cannoli palooza <laughs> comes earlier every year. <laughs> I have a a problem with places that say they do everything really. (laughs) Just, you could have just ended with, I have a problem, but go ahead. I have a problem with places that, that say they do everything like Italian places that are like, you know, that advertise themselves as like Italian delis, but then they're also like pizza and cannolis and this and that. And it's like, you can't do it all. Well, you can't, no place does it all. Well, you either do this really well or you do that really well, but nothing is ever across the board really good. If you're saying that you got these awesome desserts, um, uh, and and but you're you're a pizzeria, I'm automatically gonna knock two or three points off of that score because I know that you know that they're not very good. You just gotta move them because you got a contract with a place that supplies them. Oh, so I, not I, made I, in house. There's no way that those things are made in house. <laughs> No way that that cannoli was stuffed in house. I, 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 I'm going to say that they were supplied. All right. We're going to continue this investigation because I might, first of all, I had never gotten a calzone from this place before. It was phenomenal. It was so good. I'm still thinking about it. We might get it again tonight. So first I'm going to start with the basics. I still have not like looked at the menu to see what their dessert offerings are or to now, this is a great point that you brought up to see. Sometimes they say like, we're affiliated with this bakery or whatever i'll see if they have a little note there but then next time i go there to pick up an order i'm definitely gonna see i'll look for that to see if it's in with the soda or to see if there's anyone in the back like making them Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i want to see this i want to see this baker i want to see this person (laughs) who does this show me this baker. (laughs) and then maybe we'll find out who sam is too if you've enjoyed this episode, help us spread the word on social media. Tag us at Pod4Creatives and let us know which stood out to you. Not too far up the road, there was this piece of land that they broke ground on what was going to be sort of this like strip mall of sorts. So one day we're driving by and we see a sign on there that says Raphael's Italian Deli and Catering coming soon. And it was like, oh boy, okay, now we got something. <laughs> we're waiting and waiting and we see the refrigerators going in. And one day I drive by and on the, the glass now is Raphael's Italian Deli and Catering. And it was subs, pizza, pastries, pasta, this. And I'm going, no, no. Too many something's things. Not, something's not right here, Raphael. <laughs> this doesn't add up. 
I don't often go to a place when it first opens up. I like to sort of let it ride for a little bit. This place probably opened up somewhere in like July, June. I went in November or December for the first time. So I had a half day from work, drove home, said, I'm going to get lunch at Raphael's. This is it. This is the big day. Go in, order a sandwich. This thing is pretty thick, right? It's like the length of a mailbox. It's, you know. So I'm like, okay, like, we'll see what this looks like, right? I open it up, the sandwich. I got one half in one hand, one half in the other, and I'm looking at it. And the ratio of bread to meat is probably like three to one. Okay. okay. Like, we got a lot of bread on this sandwich. Okay. So I have a hard time fitting my mouth around it. All I'm eating is bread. I got about halfway through the sandwich. I went, I can't fucking do this. This is terrible. Can't eat it. About six months later, we're driving by Raphael's. Raphael's is closing. And Rachel goes, oh, no. I went, too much bread. That's why they close, because they have the bread. That's what I'm going to go to my grave saying. <laughs> <laughs>